Hey everybody, welcome to Artist Soapbox. Artist Soapbox is a podcast featuring triangle area artists talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am your host, Tamara Kassane. Rachel Spencer Hewitt is the founder of Parent Artist Advocacy League for Performing Arts and Media, or PAL for short. I've been talking with people about Rachel Spencer Hewitt because I've been talking with people about PAL. I've had the opportunity to interview several of the chief PAL reps from across the country this year, and people consistently describe Rachel as a caring powerhouse advocate. And I agree. As the founder of PAL, Rachel is focused on elevating the national standard of care for caregivers in the performing arts and media. In this conversation, you'll hear Rachel touch on the immediate supports and future thinking solutions to supporting caregivers in the arts. If you have the resources, please contribute to the PAL Emergency Fund and to artist funds at the local and national levels. I will include those links in the show notes. I'll also include the link to the recent issue of American Theatre Magazine, which includes a series of articles under the heading Care for the Caregivers that was undertaken with the support and insight of the Parent Artist Advocacy League. The feature article in this series, written by Rachel, is titled Work-Life Balance is Everyone's Urgent Business Now. She writes... As we face the COVID crisis, our field has a chance to restructure itself around human needs. Caregivers can lead the way. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for having this conversation. It's late in the evening on a Monday night, which what is time? What is Monday anymore? Absolutely. But if I were honest, I would say I always call these my parent office hours. Is anything post-bedtime? And um, Monday is an illusion unless you're reviewing the days of the week with your kids. So (laughs) I am happy to be here. (laughs) Before we got on mic, we were talking about how no one could have anticipated what this year would look like at this particular point in time, not even two weeks ago. I've seen that you are doing so much on social media for PAL and on the website, responding to things on a day-to-day basis. And I'm wondering if you can articulate what the focus of PAL is right now. Yeah, absolutely. So PAL, in, in the general terms, our mission is to be a resource hub community and solutions generator for parent artists and caregivers who have elder care responsibilities or other family dependents. And that has evolved to the point where, you know, we work with theater institutions, with employers, we work with employees, we work with freelance artists to generate a handbook, generate opportunities for us to have dialogue around how do we shape a childcare fund in a theater? How do we create a healthier work environment? How do we support parents in productions? Um, that has been the general theme of our conversations. And once this 2020 hit and this pandemic started to impact employment pretty drastically. Our current conversations still revolve around resource gathering, solutions generating, community building, but now are intensely focused on the specific needs of freelance artists and caregivers and caregiver employees and employers who are in the arts and being impacted by um, this pandemic. Um, That's everything from 
the freelance artists who are losing their jobs and have to homeschool their children and look for work when there's nothing, virtually nothing to be had? And and how do we retrain ourselves to find remote opportunities to um, the employees that have to work from home and homeschool their children? Or people who are worried about their grandparents because they're particularly vulnerable, but they still have to work full time. So what we've done is, you know, we've started to, we've actually launched our online web series, which we were planning for later in the year early, because everyone is online, um, so that we can talk about this crisis specifically. And we started an emergency fund called the Pal COVID Emergency Relief Fund. And we're partnering with Broadway Babysitters to raise money for that so that there is a fund where caregivers can go for that extra supplement that every caregiver needs to help them care for children as they're um, seeking employment or as they're trying to just get by in this very scary time. I think that there are things, as you mentioned, that we can do in this moment. And then also there are a series of suggestions that you have been making for a long time, but seem even more important now Mm -hmm. moving forward. I feel like my life is sort of bifurcated. Well, I don't know what the word is for like split into six, but whatever that <laughs> word is for created. But one of one of those ways is playing out and how I'm thinking about the day-to-day versus the future path. Mm. So how are you approaching that? Because clearly you're shoring up people in the moment, but then you're also making recommendations for institutions moving forward. Right. Well, it's twofold. So One is that fear is such a huge factor for everyone right now, that if we look at even our day-to-day, even our day-to-day is loaded with overwhelming tasks like educate your child. And if you're not Mm. a homeschooler, if you're not a teacher, and you have um, a full day's work in front of you, and it's not a job that's usually work from home, the overwhelm can start even the night before for the day. That makes thinking about your future you seem even more bleak. So the reason why we're tackling both is because we can say, how can we make the opportunity for creating support digestible enough that it feels like we are impacting our day-to-day moments, but impacting them in a way that they're laying a path for our future so that we come out of this better than we would if that support weren't there. And the encouragement that I give individuals, and I hope the resources that we put out there give individuals is that the change that we make to the day to day to say, I'm going to take it one day at a time. I'm going to accept that rest is part of being productive. I'm going to accept that just talking to my child about the monarch butterfly, but never actually getting to those six worksheets is still education. You know, having those mindset shifts and empowering ourselves, it's going to have a great impact on our future when we do have to go out and seek those jobs. Because what we're doing is we're already developing in ourselves within the state of fear, a sense of value. And I think that that's the first thing to go when we feel overwhelmed is that we feel much smaller than the problem in front of us. And none of us is bigger than a pandemic, but we are all capable of filling our day with value. And then what I recommend to institutions and to leadership is that the arts has never seen, at least in in my lifetime, has never seen such a sudden, drastic, economic effect in a negative way. And yet we have never been so immediately flexible to accommodating to the needs of everyone around us. So what we're finding is that there is serious devastation and there's no sugarcoating that. This is not meant to make anyone feel better about what happened because I don't think it should. I think we all should be very open to grieving and allowing each other to grieve. 
But in that, I hope that we remember that part of our skill set is being a creative people. And as a creative people, when thrust into times where we have to be flexible, we should all be very impressed and proud at how quickly we've become creative, how quickly we've become digital, how quickly we've found new ways to connect with each other. And the encouragement is saying, you know, caregivers have long asked for the opportunity to work from home. People who have sick relatives have long asked for the opportunity to work from their computer for a short time being while they care for their mother or while they go care for our grandmother. And when we look at what we're doing now, what I hope we learn is that even though we've been deconstructed, we have an opportunity to remake what our institutions look like coming out of this. And are we going to center what we remake on the capable, or are we going to center what we remake on the vulnerable? Since right now, all of us are vulnerable and we have an opportunity to empathize with that. And so to make our structures more sustainable, we center it on need so that in the future, when everybody's healthy again, and when the arts start to become an economic boom again, when that person says, I'm sick, I need to work from home, my child is sick, or my child has a compromised immune system, I can't send them to school right now. We remember when we all had to quarantine and we say, I know how to adjust to support this person. And that's going to be an incredible vocabulary that we have moving forward. I remember when I have in my lifetime asked for certain accommodations in the workplace and Mm -hmm. the pushback that I received was always, we don't want to set a precedent. Right. And I feel like, of course, that argument falls apart completely right now because it looks like we can actually make these accommodations after all. Um, we're we're being forced to do that. And it does seem, as you're saying, that we actually can be creative and flexible when we are forced to. I find that I'm also much more willing to come right out and say to people now, well, not say, but email to people, I have two children at home Everything is taking me longer and I have a lot going on. I will not be getting back to you right away. I will not be as productive as I generally am. And just admitting, I actually, I have kids. They affect me. They affect my work life. They affect my emotional life. And I feel like I've spent most of my adulthood putting these categories in place. And, you know, we didn't, they weren't permeable. I was only a worker or I was a parent. I could never be both because that was unacceptable and I can't have that anymore. Right. Well, I mean, and the idea of setting a precedent, you know, for larger institutions, it's terrifying because they have HR and they know that if they allow one person to do it, they're terrified it's going to open Pandora's box and they have to allow every person to do it and then there'll be pandemonium. But one of the simple recommendations we make is that actually what you should do is set a precedent before it's needed. If you explore, you know, if you do your due diligence in educating yourself what major life events are and what the definition of a dependent is, then you can create policy that sets a precedent, but sets a precedent in a way that allows for those accommodations, reasonable accommodations, without there being the chaos. And for smaller institutions, you know, they wonder, do we have, you know, and honestly, it's the smaller institutions who are usually more willing because the smaller institutions have to be flexible because smaller budgets demand it. But for the smaller institutions who do worry, they worry, do we have the resources to accommodate change? And it's actually when you take those opportunities to think about, like we have right now, to think about 
How do we plan for the future to make setting a precedent of reasonable accommodations part of our organization? What you do is you're actually going to save money because someone's going to get sick. We're not all going to be healthy forever after this. Even if 90% of us gets better, someone is going to get ill. Someone's family member is going to get sick. Someone's going to go into premature labor. And if we didn't learn our lesson here on how to prepare for major life events, it's going to cost us more in the future. So, you know, that pushback is so common. I just want to say also that what you experience, we hear nearly every time we engage in conversation with employers or employees or freelance artists. And my response is always like, you should absolutely set a precedent because by setting a precedent and creating protocol, you're going to be able to establish a system that works for your organization so that reasonable accommodations can be made in a way that you can afford. But I mean, this is the learning curve, right? We've all been forced onto this learning curve now. And I'd be very curious to know how many institutions had already employed remote work policies who now have um, some fluency over the ones who were hardlining against it and now are, are forced to learn while they work. I'm sure it's quite a challenge. It's interesting to think about <laughs> the idea that we that we need to encourage people to get ahead of accommodations because mm. really what they are is just an acknowledgement that people are human beings with lives and not just worker bees and widgets. I find it remarkable that we have come to a place in our society that that we have to have this conversation I find to be quite remarkable. It's what we've what we say openly, which is that when you do not put policy in your organization that says we will accommodate you when things happen, you are telling your employees two things. You're telling them, one, you're replaceable, and two, we don't want to hear about your needs. And what that does to the morale alone of an organization is devastating. You find workers will enter your workplace feeling the burden of the potential of illness, which is going to reduce productivity as opposed to workers entering, knowing they're going to be supportive when they're healthy, their productivity is going to be higher. And when they do need to take time away, it's going to be an expedited process because everyone's fluent on what should happen. I mean, for me, when we start having this conversation and say, you know, it's strange that we need to talk about this exactly like you said, that's when people start to open up because their concerns come out and, and they're easily addressed. You've mentioned several different ways, but I just want to sort of sum up for people who are listening, who are feeling overwhelmed and they want to help. As individuals, how can we support parent artists in this moment and in these months going forward? Reach out. If you know anyone who is a caregiver right now, digitally, of course, keep the distance. But if you know anyone who's a parent or anyone who's a caregiver, even if they don't reply back because they're probably swamped, start with reaching out, shoot the text, send the message, just say, hey, checking in, how are you? How is your day? I saw this great resource for the kids. Can I FaceTime with the kids, you know, while you make yourself a cup of coffee? Any way that you can digitally enter their world and make them feel seen. Many of them, especially, you know, mothers who who had moments of quarantine after their children were born, essentially, are returning back to that cocoon phase when life doesn't allow it. And any way that you can break that cocoon and say, I see you, I support you. Can I order you food tonight? Can I order your family food? Um, go back to the practices that are 
you know, for when children are newborn and say, what food can I send you? What FaceTime can I do with you and your kids? Can I read them a story over FaceTime while you cook your meal? I would engage with them as a member of their community digitally. And then two, I would donate to PAL. We're offering all the donations for March and April to go to the emergency fund. And that's going to go to directly to people who have been negatively impacted with employment or find great financial loss at this time. And we're going to partner with them in making sure that whatever projects they're working on or the art that they create is able to get out there. Uh, in that way. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you would like to cover before we wrap up? I do want to mention that Broadway Babysitters is an incredible sitter organization and their sitters are artists as well. And they're partnering with us on the emergency fund, particularly by providing virtual live dance classes with Broadway stars and story time with Broadway performers and Q and A's, and they are donating to the PAL emergency fund. So it's an opportunity for people to engage with artists, support artists, support a relief fund and allow for their children to have a dance time or a story time where we're, offering a solution to so many needs with that one offering. So I would definitely encourage people to check that out because if you feel like you need your children to engage in an opportunity, um, an educational opportunity and an arts opportunity, that's a great way to also give back at the same time. So um, it's called the Broadway Babysitters Playhouse and it's a hashtag BB Playhouse and they've been incredible. Great. I will put the links to all of that in the show notes so that people can check out those offerings and everything that PAL has to offer. I want to thank you very much for taking the time to talk with me tonight and for all that you do nationally for for caregivers who are artists because it, it you are having such an impact on our lives. So thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for getting the word out there and for getting our voices heard. It's important. Thanks so much for listening. For more information, please see the show notes and our website, artistsoapbox.org. We are on Patreon, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.